Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, March 8th. We begin with the latest from Ukraine. We catch up with Global News national reporter Mike Armstrong, who is currently in Lviv, Ukraine, with an update on the Russian invasion, in particular, the continuing exodus of citizens from the war-torn country, which now totals over 2 million refugees. Today is International Women's Day. We kick things off by hearing details on the 2022 Gender Index Report, which chronicles the inequalities between men and women from work to politics and even food security. Then we look at women in business. We speak with Sarah Steele, Director of Small Business at Visa Canada, to discuss the many challenges women entrepreneurs face when launching a new business. And finally, we raise our glass to Turner Valley's Eau Claire Distillery. We speak with Master Distiller Caitlin Quinn for details on a special single malt whiskey being produced by her team to recognize International Women's Day and at the same time help out the Women in Need Society. There is another shocking milestone from the war in Ukraine. The United Nations now says as of today, 2 million Ukrainians have left the country. Many of those refugees have traveled through the city of Lviv in western Ukraine. Global's Mike Armstrong is there today and joins us now this morning. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Mike, with so many people passing through that city, uh, how much pressure is it under right now? Yeah, enormous pressure. The mayor... Uh, says this city is over capacity in its ability to help people. Uh, they expect that there's another wave coming, and they say that if that happens, they're absolutely going to need support. Um, the UN, by the way, has said up to 4 million people might try and flee Ukraine, and they come through here in gigantic, gigantic numbers. About 700,000 people have moved through this city in western Ukraine. Um, it, it's just incredible. About 50,000 people a day, that's the pace. And you have to add to that about 200,000 people who have come here and aren't moving through. um, They're staying here in shelters and with family and friends and things like that. It's incredible. Talking with Global's Mike Armstrong. And, uh, Mike, you spent the morning at the train station downtown. Can you paint a picture of of what you saw and what it's like as far as the atmosphere? Yeah. And you know what? It feels a lot like a refugee uh, camp, unfortunately. with all the soup kitchens and fires because it's cold, so people warming their hands, uh, children playing, um, and people not carrying everything they own, um, but carrying what they can carry. Um, they've left everything behind. And then you sort of look at their faces and the stories that they tell. It's just one person after another. They've either fled their home because they were nervous about what might happen, or they fled their home because there's no home left. Uh, we, we talked to people who were in bomb shelters and came out of the bomb shelter, looked at their house, and it was in rubble. And so they hopped on a train and they came to Lviv today. It's just incredible. And the strange thing I'll add about speaking to people at the train station on their journey is it's a a strange type of journey because they don't have a destination. You know, they're, they're coming here from the center, the north, the south, and the east, and they're moving west to Poland and and other countries here in in Europe. But they don't know where they're going exactly. They they don't have hotel reservations. They're not going to be staying with family or friends. Their only destination really is safety. Well, you know, and also after several attempts to get civilians out of some conflict zones, we're hearing reports that there is some success happening this morning. What do we know about that? Yeah, we're hearing that there were some ceasefire agreements in the Sumi region in the northeast. 
and Irpin, which is a suburb of Kiev. There would have been convoys leaving at uh, 10 a.m., followed by uh, private vehicles. Um, but there's been a lot of trouble. Uh, there's another humanitarian convoy this morning that was supposed to leave Mariupol. Uh, and what we're hearing, the Ukrainian government is accusing the Russian forces of shelling the convoy or the corridor route just before people took to it. So they didn't allow people to leave, and the Ukrainians are quite upset about that. Another problem with those humanitarian convoys or corridors, excuse me, has been where they lead. Um, Russia has agreed to let people out in some circumstances, but those corridors lead to Russia and Belarus, and Ukrainians who are fleeing their country because of the attack aren't too interested in going to the attacking countries. Um, So that's been a little bit strange. So, Mike, the Ukrainian president actually spoke about those humanitarian corridors in a new address. What exactly was his message? Yeah, what he was saying about the corridors is basically that the Russians had mined them. He's also saying that uh, Russians are mining the the routes for aid to get into the conflict zone. So some some pretty heavy accusations there. Um, But one of the things about that address that came out about 14 hours ago now um, was its location. Uh, it was pretty interesting. If you watch it, it starts with President Zelensky shooting out his window with his cell phone. And then he walks down the hall. He's, by the way, shooting out the window and showing downtown Kiev that he's in the Capitol and he's up several floors in a building. And he says, I'm in my office. You know, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And, and that's really the message. He said, I'm not hiding, mm. not scared, not going anywhere until our country has won. And I'll tell you, you you really can't overstate um, the, how can I put it, the strength, the contagious strength from some of those addresses. We have a fixer, uh, a driver, who's been driving us around here in Lviv. And when a new address comes out um, from the president, he, he insists we be quiet and he turns it up so he can hear it. The president right now here is very, very popular. And there have been several assassination attempts on his life, haven't there, Mike? Well, there have also been rumors of people, um, assassination groups that have been sent to Kiev. Huh. And, you know, it's, it's not that hard for people to infiltrate, um, to get into Ukraine if they can speak Ukrainian and, and fit in quite well. As a matter of fact, a lot of people speak Russian here in Ukraine as well. So, um, they're, you know, talking to people on the street yesterday, there are reports even here in Lviv of saboteurs um, of spies that might be here, even marking targets potentially. So there's a lot of uh, suspicion uh, around, and we we get asked to show our press passes uh, quite often, actually. What do we know about how the Ukrainian forces are doing in their defense at this point? What's the latest, Mike? Yeah, you know, one of the things you can look at uh, to answer that question is one of the things that's held up Russian advances is that they don't control the air. Um, and that's been hugely important. Uh, the Ukrainian military, they've put out some numbers. They say they shot down, for example, 52 Russian planes, 69 helicopters uh, since the start of this war. Obviously, you can't confirm those numbers. Um, but you can confirm that the Air Force is performing much better than people expected. Um, as a matter of fact, the Air Force put out a statement on Facebook last night uh, saying they shot down another two planes, and they referred to that request for no-fly zone that we hear so much about. In their, in their post, they say, you know what, we're going to take care of that no-fly zone ourselves. 
and NATO is free to join if they want. Mike, thank you so much for the update this morning, and thanks for what you're doing, putting yourself out there in Ukraine so that we can understand exactly what's going on in that country. Appreciate your time. Oh, good. I get to go home. It's the people we're talking to that are yeah. in that situation. Yeah, be, be safe. Thanks so much. Mike Armstrong, Global News National Reporter. And I think we have to give a tip of the hat to all the correspondents that we've been having on the program. You can imagine, you know, you do your job, whatever that may be. Mm. And then you're asked, and maybe you know when you sign up, it's part of your job. Hey, we're going to send you to the war zone. Hey, you, you pack your bag. Let's get going. So it, it's got to be tough to leave your friends and family behind. And we have a number of global you know. reporters oh, yeah. who are on the scene in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Mercedes Stevenson, who we talk to every week, she is there. Um, Abigail Beeman, I believe, is traveling with the prime minister. I think so at this point. Still. And, uh, you know, Crystal Gomansing stationed in, in the UK. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's a very volatile situation. It's an ever-changing time. Have that bag packed, good to go. And like Mike mm-hmm. said, we can't underscore it enough. At least he gets to leave. Yeah, the poor people who are living in that country watching a, another country try and take over. It's just got to be heartbreaking for everybody there. Absolutely. And according to the 2022 Sustainable Development Goals Gender Index Report, one in every three countries is either making no progress or is moving in the wrong direction when it comes to equality. Today, we mark International Women's Day and break down the findings of the Gender Index Report with Amanda Austin, Head of Policy and Advocacy for Equal Measures 2030. Good morning to you, Amanda. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Appreciate it. Can, okay, tell us a little bit about the report itself. What What is the Gender Index Report? What does it break down for us? Well, we look across a huge range of issues across 144 countries globally, and we look at things like whether or not women are feeling safe, whether or not women are in positions of political power, whether or not they have access to the food they need. Um, And when we look across all of those different issues, we get a really comprehensive picture of what's happening for girls and women across a huge number of countries. And as you rightly said, you know, a lot of a lot of countries are doing pretty well. The majority of countries, gender equality is moving in the right direction. But at the same time, no countries reach gender equality. And as as you said, one in three is going in the wrong direction. Um, and so there's still a huge amount more to do uh, to achieve the goals we've committed to to achieve by 2030. Amanda, can you uh, break down for us the difference when we use you know, it's all the terminology? between gender equality and gender equity? Sure. So, you know, the easiest way to think about this, there's there's an image maybe that people can get in their minds, which is if you're trying to see over a fence and you're much shorter than the person next to you, the box that you're going to need to stand on is going to need to be bigger than the box that the person next to you needs to stand on to be able to see over that fence. So gender equity is actually trying to get both of those people, whether short or tall or whatever uh, particular discrimination or challenges they might face, to both be able to see over that fence. And so that's really what we're trying we're trying to achieve in in, in that very simple kind of illustration. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I don't like to focus on the negative, but I'm just curious. You talked about countries moving in the wrong direction. Could you give us one example of what that that looks like still today in 2022? Sure, of course. I mean. 
look, a lot of a lot of countries are stagnating. So I think when we look at, for example, a region like Latin America, Latin America was doing really reasonably well as a region um, on gender equality. But but actually, since 2015, that's barely moved. Mm. And so what that means is that even though a lot of countries were scoring, you know, fair to good since 2015 on that, because it hasn't shifted, they're not going to get there by 2030. They need to pick up the pace and they need to accelerate. Well, when we talk about what we have to do here within our borders or within Canada to improve gender equality, is it really a case that we can look at a country that has had success and follow their roadmap? Or is every country so individual that you have to have your own plan? How does that work? Oh, I think... You know, every country's context is is so different. Um, there are a, key, a few key factors I think that you can you can look at across countries, um, but really it's it's being driven by the individual cases there. And and one of the ways, one of the key kind of pieces of that of that blueprint or that roadmap is focusing on girls and women that are being left behind. Um, so even though our index is looking at at aggregate scores, we know that some groups of women, you know, for example, in Canada, that might be uh, women from uh, indigenous groups, are actually not seeing the same levels of progress toward equality as that aggregate figure. And so every single country needs to be looking at, okay, which groups of girls and women aren't seeing the same level of progress as others? And how can we make sure that the policies that we put into place, the social care systems we put into place, are really catering to the needs and rights of those particular women. Amanda, is there any one thing you can point to or maybe a couple of them or is that just too difficult to answer altogether that for you, when you see it happen, you'll say we have finally reached gender equality? Oh my gosh. Uh, That's a big question, I know. It's such a big question. You know, I think think one of the the big things that we could see that would be such a powerful way to move the needle would be people focusing on the way in which care work is distributed within the country and within families and within communities because so much of um, the care burden falls to women looking at who takes care of children, who looks after the elderly, and that's both paid work and unpaid work and can be such a barrier to women being able to achieve their rights, participate in the economy, just simply have enough time uh, to take a rest now and then, right? So I think we could really see some some change in that area, and that would be a massive step toward gender equality. Okay, we're going to give you a chance now, Amanda. I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, here's your chance to give a shout-out to a woman who has influenced you, a woman that you look up to, whether it's through your career path or just in life in general. Who would you Who would you like to recognize? I have a great aunt, actually, um, who was one of the earliest um, female diplomats working in the United States, who was working in the Middle East. So a hugely complex um, area. Uh, and she's always been such an inspiration for me, really made me want to get into the work that I do now. Um, and I have I have one of her lockets that I like, I like to keep with me. So um, I think, you know, female mentors are such an important part mm-hmm. um, and, and role models for, for girls and young women today. And so I hope everyone can be thinking about their mentor and role model on International Women's Day. Thank you so much for joining us, Amanda. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks. Amanda Austin, Head of Policy and Advocacy for Equal Measures 2030.
optimism is growing among Canadian small business owners as they look to bounce back after the pandemic. But a recent survey finds female-owned businesses are facing obstacles on their road to recovery. With some details, we're joined this morning by Sarah Steele, Senior Director of Small Business Product at Visa Canada. Good morning, Sarah. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So what exactly is it? Why is what, What's holding female-owned businesses back from the bounce? Um, you know, there are, can be a number of things, but one of the key things that we know um, is a challenge for small businesses and particularly female small businesses is funding. So, you know, research found that limited access to funding remains a core issue for women small business owners, along with gender inequality as it relates to building and growing a small business. So funding for women-owned small businesses um, continues to be a challenge with only 79% indicating they have full funding to operate as they'd like compared to 85% of businesses owned by men. Do we have any idea why this is? I mean, I would think a business proposal would be the same no matter who wrote it. Yeah, I mean, I think there can be a number of things. Some of it relates to um, the confidence of even, you know, going into the bank to be applying for a loan. We see from research as well that female or women entrepreneurs tend to be much more likely to self-fund their business out of their own finances rather than um, going to a bank as well. So it it could be a number of different things. This is International Women's Day and obviously important that we continue the conversation around a lot of the challenges that remain. I would think that things are better for female-owned small businesses, but obviously there's, there's room for improvement always, right? Totally. And, you know, it's such a timely moment to be um, sharing this with you today on International Women's Day. Um, Visa Canada is announcing the third round of our She's Next grant program that supports women-owned businesses um, in partnership with iFundWomen. And we're just really thrilled to be announcing that applications are open for our grant program and we're giving out 10 ten thousand dollar grants coupled with a year's membership of a business mentoring and coaching for the 10 winners sarah you're with visa canada so i'm wondering if we take a broad look across the country are any regions or provinces more friendly toward uh, women entrepreneurs or are we all uh, you know on an even playing field so to speak as far as you know opportunities are concerned Mostly even, there are um, opportunities across the country, I would say. We don't see a huge um, amount of regional difference just in terms of the uh, representation of women-owned businesses. So I think we can all have um, an opportunity to help support female entrepreneurship. Overall, Sarah, do you feel like things are, are looking up? Are we bounce, starting to bounce back overall coming out of the end of this pandemic, hopefully? Yeah, I think so. There there definitely is hope and optimism. You know, our, our most recent back-to-business study shows that um, 86% were feeling optimistic about coming out of the pandemic. Um, so that is definitely, you know, positive. And, and as we know, you know, things are opening up. Um, but that's still, you know, we're still highlighting the need that we need to support female entrepreneurs, which is why we're, you know, looking for, women to apply for this amazing grant program where they can really amplify their their business and grow and succeed and we're looking for applications um on uh to apply for this grant program at ifundwomen.com slash visa canada sarah we're going to put you on the spot and ask you <laughs> a question that's very appropriate for today and that is a woman 
you know, in, in the uh, cultural lexicon that we will know the name of that inspires you from the past or from current times? Who inspires you? Oh, wow. You guys really are putting me on the spot. <laughs> you, <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, I've had um, so many great and inspiring women um, in my life from past uh, bosses that I've worked for. Mm. You know, I have a, an amazing boss now. Um, and even, you know, the, the woman who runs Visa Canada, Stacey Madge, she's fantastic. Um, even my mom, who, you know, she was uh, a teacher and she worked all through my childhood. Um, so shout out to all the great ladies who um, have been inspiring across the board. Fantastic. Love it. Thanks so much for your time, Sarah. Appreciate it this morning. It was a pleasure. Thanks very much. Sarah Steele, Senior Director of Small Business Product at Visa Canada. Eau Claire Distillery in Turner Valley has an exciting new launch in honour of today, International Women's Day. Joining us with the spirited details is Master Distiller at Eau Claire Distillery, Caitlin Quinn. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for joining us. You're launching a new single malt whiskey today, but it's the story behind it that makes it that much more special. Tell us about it. Yeah, so this release we've done uh, specifically for International Women's Day. At the distillery now, we're now 50% female on the production team. So we kind of joined forces, the three of us, and blended this whiskey for International Women's Day. All right. So what, I mean, we know the meaning behind this single malt whiskey, but how would it taste? Can you give us some kind of an example, a foo-foo-y example, Caitlin, <laughs> a description? Of course. So we've used um, three different types of casks. We use New European oak, ex-bourbon and ex-wine barrels. So this kind of gives flavours of honey, burnt sugar, that kind of caramelised sugar um, with some oak and then a slightly like sour tart ending on it. And then you've got some notes of red, red fruit and brown sugar on the nose. Caitlin, three master distillers. How unusual is that in this world? It's very strange for there to be so many females on our production team most teams are predominantly male in the industry so having three of us at one distillery is really exciting Caitlin, tell us about your background how did you get involved with the distillery and why are you passionate about it you're obviously canadian born (laughs) well strangely i was born in winnipeg (laughs) were you really yeah that's my winnipeg accent Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was born in Winnipeg, but we moved pretty much immediately to Scotland. Grew up all my life just outside Glasgow in a place called Hamilton. And then did my undergrad in chemistry and then my master's in brewing and distilling at Harriet Watt, which is the only English-speaking distilling school in the world. And then while I was in my final months of that, um, David Farn, who owns the distillery, um, reached out looking for someone to come and work at the distillery. And I've been here ever since. Obviously very forward-thinking at the Eau Claire Distillery. I love that. And you produce amazing beverages. Tell us a little bit about proceeds from this particular whiskey. It's also going to help Women in Need Society, which is really important that we highlight that on International Women's Day too. Yeah, of course. We wanted to give back to a women-led charity, obviously, um, for International Women's Day. So $10 from every purchase of the Yours Truly whiskey will go to wins. That's the name of it, Yours Truly? Yes. Love it. Good stuff. Caitlin, we'd like to thank you for your time this morning, and uh, we appreciate it. Cheers to you. Thank you so much. Cheers. That is Caitlin Quinn, Eau Claire Distillery, Master Distiller. Find out more about their products, but you got to get on down there. It's a beautiful facility. It is eauclairedistillery.ca.
Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.